It can be tempting to think that user research primarily happens when the design work happens, that is, during the prototype and test phases. But all of the phases of design thinking have plenty of opportunity for research. It's just that at different phases, you'll find that you likewise have different questions that pop up. You'll also discover that certain methods are better suited to each of the phases. Ideally, you want to conduct research throughout all of them. And if you're dealing with limited time or budget, then research done earlier on might be done with a greater emphasis and later on might be done with a lighter touch. You'll generally find that the earlier you plan and execute the research, particularly during the empathize phase, the clearer you will be on what the problem is and the more confident you'll be as to how to go about solving it. Essentially, doing an upfront investment with the understanding that it will benefit the work that follows. Organizations that have a higher level of UX maturity really get this, but you might find that those who are newer to UX struggle with doing research before there's any design. They question, how can you research something before it's even been defined or has taken shape? And the fact that many of the research methods are much more suited for very earlier phases of a project also happen to be the more intensive and costly ones makes it a difficult pill to swallow. Of course, we know that user research is the very thing that can help teams do a better job of understanding the user, their needs, and pain points, and therefore the problems to solve for. But how do you explain this to folks who only equate user research with things like unmoderated usability testing, much like you'd find on usertesting.com, or A-B testing, or web analytics? In other words, inexpensive tools that basically do the work of research on their own. Well, a few things can help with that conversation. I find it useful to talk about research methods as much like tools that you would find in a toolbox. And of course, with any tool, before you select it, you have to know what is the job that needs to be done so that you're selecting the appropriate tool. Research is all about knowing the goals of that research project. Are you exploring ideas, concepts, or evaluating ideas and concepts? Do you need to gather reactions and feelings or track clicks and collect numbers? What do you plan on doing with the data? Are you using it to generate and spark non-obvious ideas? Or are you focusing the problem that you're targeting to solve for? Are you testing an idea to see how it measures up? Or are you evaluating an already existing solution to see what needs further improvement? Knowing the answers to these questions all can correlate to a few key concepts that relate back to user research methods. The first concept to understand is qualitative versus quantitative. Qualitative methods are ones that are better suited to gathering information about people's feelings, ideas, current and past experiences, desires, and context. It's basically the research that helps you understand what makes people tick and really get inside of their heads. It seeks to help you understand the why and how in a very deep sense. Data is usually gathered through the researchers who are in the field. In other words, it's observed or recorded in the user's natural setting. And the analysis of the data is usually inductive 
meaning that the researcher synthesizes the data by looking through very specific observations to extrapolate and identify broader patterns. Quantitative methods, on the other hand, are all about measuring things, with an emphasis on understanding the broader population in a precise, objective, and statistical way. It helps you understand what, when, and where. The data here is gathered through tools as opposed through the researcher. In other words, things like surveys, questionnaires, or other instruments. The analysis is often deductive, meaning that the researcher begins with a bigger theory or hypothesis and then looks through broad data sets to look for specific insights or causality. Not to say that you can't employ both qualitative and quantitative. This is known as mixed methods, and it's just exactly what it sounds like. You're mixing qualitative and quantitative to get more of a 360 view. The second concept that's important to know is behavioral versus attitudinal. Are you wanting to study what people are doing in real time or seeking to understand their subjective opinions? These parameters can be combined with qualitative or quantitative methods. So for example, when you cross attitudinal with qualitative, you might wind up with a focus group or semi-structured interviews. Whereas if you cross attitudinal with quantitative, you end up with something like your typical web survey. Now the last and third concept to understand is generative versus evaluative. Both terms are pretty self-explanatory in that generative helps you generate ideas, whereas evaluative helps you evaluate ideas. Typically, you will be looking to generate and explore ideas at the beginning of the design process, whereas we tend to aim to evaluate or refine an idea when you're in the midst of design or nearing completion. However, in the case where you're beginning with an existing design, you might very well begin with evaluative to understand what's working and what's not, and then use generative to address how to go about improving that experience. Generative and evaluative techniques is more or less the same concept of convergence and divergence that we talked about with the double diamond design approach. Generative is divergent in nature, meaning you're trying to generate creative ideas by exploring a question to provoke many non-obvious ideas. Evaluative tends to be convergent in nature, meaning you're using the data to help you focus on improving your solution. Now that I've distinguished between how research methods can be broken down conceptually, let's talk a bit about the things to consider when you're selecting a research method and how it corresponds to these concepts. If you were to look at what's generally published online and elsewhere, you might be tempted to conclude that there are only a handful of user research methods. The ones that you most commonly see are surveys or questionnaires, usability testing, both unmoderated and moderated, web analytics, and semi-structured interviews. While these are all really great methods, you should always be careful to think about what question you're trying to answer first in your research. Are you wanting to gather data about people's feelings or experiences, or do you need to measure specifics? Are you wanting to gather data on behavioral patterns or wanting to gather opinions? And where are you in the product development life cycle? Is it appropriate to generate more ideas 
or do you really need to focus and improve one specific idea? The next filter of questions to consider is from the lens of constraints, such as how much time do you have to do this research? How many resources, meaning people, do you have that can contribute to it? What's your budget like? Can you compensate people for their time, meaning the participants? And how easy or hard will it be to find those participants? Now, once you've gathered up all your requirements and your constraints, you can now go about identifying which method is most suitable for the, your research goals and all the things that you might be grappling with. Again, I would recommend using a resource like Universal Methods of Design, which is basically a cookbook of various research methods. Remember that you can also create your own methods. You may also find that your population or research question is so unique that you have to invent it. As an example, I worked with a group of students who were in the very early stages of a project focused on developing a device for use by first responders. They were eager to empathize with the first responders in the most direct way. Unsurprisingly, the students weren't allowed to shadow or conduct field work with first responders who were on the job. Obviously, that would have been pretty dangerous. What they ended up doing was conducting a subject matter expert interview with instructors who trained those very first responders and they were doing this to learn about the simulation exercises and drills that are used to train them, and also learn about how the instructors evaluated the performance of the trainee, meaning when were they ready to be out there and doing the job. After the students conducted those expert interviews, they then adapted those drills for use in the basement of our studio space. That basement now became a mystery burning building where the trainees were given the task of rescuing people in rooms that they were unable to see. So they were blindfolded and their faces were covered with some gauze to simulate the effect of not being able to breathe well. They spent an entire Saturday running through this training to really get into the mindset of those first responders. And then they were able to complement this with a ride along with police officers, as well as tour a fire department to put together a full 360 view of the world of first responders. Now, you'll probably not find a method like this described in any book, but it was exactly the data that this team needed to be able to better understand their target audience, given the constraints that they were handed, and they could still walk away being able to identify some unmet user needs. You'll notice that what I just described has what sounds like a couple of different methods that build upon one another. You'll find that pulling together multiple methods and accruing that data over time will net you the most valuable information. One method simply is not going to comprehensively and magically address all of your questions. So I'll just reiterate where we began. You'll want to aspire to doing research throughout the process rather than relegating it to just one isolated point in time. Now for our last order of business, your participants. Without them, you won't have very much data. Perhaps you'll strike gold and your client organization already has a group of people eager to participate in your research who are also impartial and have no vested interest in one specific idea or direction. 
you can run out and celebrate because this is a pretty rare thing. If you don't find yourself in that situation, join the majority of us who have to build in enough time to recruit participants. Basically, you have two options. You can find the participants yourself or you can outsource it to a recruiting firm. Personally speaking, outsourcing is a bit misleading because you still have plenty of oversight to do. Regardless if you're doing this yourself or using a recruiting firm, I cannot stress enough to give yourself adequate time to recruit appropriate participants. By appropriate, I mean people who represent your actual users, who do not have an affiliation with the product or company you represent, and don't have a relationship with you. In other words, they should be unbiased. The other thing I would strongly recommend is offering some type of incentive. It can be a payment of some sort, a small token of appreciation, or a donation. But you'll find that it really helps no matter what it is that you give as that incentive. If this isn't an option, you can also appeal to participants by helping them understand how their input will really make a fundamental difference. So I'm going to focus on options for recruiting if you're doing the recruiting yourself. Let's first talk about short-term solutions where you're promoting an upcoming single study. You can do this through a web intercept, which is basically a pop-up that displays and asks the site visitor they would be interested in participating. You'll also probably find success in promoting the study through email, social media, or targeted ads. You can also team up with marketing, sales, or support teams to have them help with your recruiting efforts since they tend to already be in contact with customers. If you want to go further afield, you can look for participants in forums, online communities, or other places both physical and virtual where they might hang out. Once you have a few folks lined up, you may want to try something known as snowball recruiting. Basically, this is where you ask the people you've already successfully recruited to pass the word along to others in their network. Now, for longer term solutions, what you really want to do is build out your own database for future research participants. You can gather these folks up by having them opt in through your website, digital marketing efforts, or even teaming up with your sales team. If you think you'll be running multiple studies in the future, you'll definitely want to build out this list of contacts as it'll save you loads of time. Be sure to track who you've contacted and who has already actively participated in your studies. Be sure not to use the same participants over and over as you risk biasing your data by limiting the diversity of perspectives. Now, this is just a very high-level overview of the recruitment process and how you might go about finding participants. Do take a look at the Nielsen Norman Group report, How to Recruit Participants for Usability Studies, for much more extensive details.